In 1 Corinthians 9, after Paul had just mentioned about the relationship that he has with his brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and even within the, the relationship of the conscience among brothers and sisters, he now deals with the relationship that he has with people in this world. And this transition in the first part of chapter 9 is going from our relationship with one another as brothers and sisters to the way he views his relationship with all men, period. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says to the saints there with regard to all that's been going on. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat or drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes toward his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law also say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen that God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written. That he who plows should plow in hope. And he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Uh, for necessity, it's laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. 
Now, this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we do it for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty, and thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, that passage of Scripture has a whole lot to do, not just with the relationship that we have with one another. And Paul was dealing with that because there were some issues going on in the relationship he had with his brethren. But he uses that relationship with one another that he had with them as a segue with his relationship with all men. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Our relationship with all men. Our relationship with people specifically who are in this world. I cannot help but think that when we look at our relationships with this world that we live in, it cannot, it cannot be separate from the life and the relationship we have with our God. And that's what we looked at last week. We looked at the fact that in Ecclesiastes, we saw that there is nothing in this world that we can do, no relationship that we have with each other that can be meaningful to us in the grand scheme of eternity, that is, unless it's with God. And God wants us to have a good life. He wants us to be rich in our walk with Him. And I'm not speaking materially. He wants us to give Him glory for everything so that whatever we do, whether we work, whether we play, whether we look at our relationships with our, our family members, those among us, that we can rejoice in every aspect in the Lord because we have a relationship with Him first and foremost. That's the thing that we were looking at, and that can only come through Jesus Christ. You cannot have a meaningful relationship. And again, I'm speaking from eternity standpoint, not from just within this realm we live in. You cannot have one because it's all vain when you take your last breath and you face God. It's all vain. But with God, it's all meaningful. And it's a wonderful thing. And so there are people in this world, including Christians, that have this mindset, well, but I do have meaningful relationships, Mitch. And there are wonderful things until you face the Lord. And only because of Him do those relationships become meaningful for you. That you can enjoy them. Because when you breathe, breathe your last and you face the Lord in the day of judgment, unless you have come into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ... All that is going to be meaningless to you at that point. Now that said, when it comes to our relationship with people in this world, it's all vain. Unless it's the fact that we give our lives to the Lord and seek those to bring them to the Lord. Same thing. The problem I see personally is that when we look at our relationships with one another, we look at it from all kinds of angles when we talk about evangelizing. I've had brethren say, Mitch, can we have a series of lessons on evangelism? And I don't mind doing so. But it is my personal opinion that that's meaningless, personally, when you look at the grand scheme. 
It's not about the mechanics. Being able to say all the right things in the right way so that they can understand. I know of so many brothers and sisters in Christ who have said that. You may feel that way. I've heard it for 20 years. And I'm saying this from a standpoint that when I obeyed the gospel, one day later, I'm out talking to people about the gospel and I knew not a single scripture. So I know it can be done. It's been done. And so it's not about the mechanics. Nor is it about a discipleship program. I have known those who profess themselves as Christians, who believe it foolish to talk to someone about the Lord because they have not really counted the cost if you don't teach them everything that they need. You might have that opinion as well. But it's not about a 10-month discipleship program. You know why I know that? Read the book of Acts. They didn't have 10-hour discipleship programs. They preached Jesus Christ, and those who heard and believed in Jesus Christ obeyed the gospel in the hour. That's the typical that you'll see, and we'll look at that toward the end of this lesson. The problem I personally see is how we look at people in this world. That's what I see. You see, generally speaking, in fact, when I say generally, a great majority of us live with great material wealth. I mean, great. I'm talking about the person with the least means in this congregation. And the person with the greatest means in this congregation, that may be a spectrum that may be wide from our vantage point. But when you look at the way we live, We've got so much, generally speaking. We're the only country in this world that we can have people who are in poverty and live as if we've got meat on our bones and then some. It's the only nation. When you look at poverty, I'm seeing skinny bones. No one throwing away a single iota of a rice grain. That's poverty. We live with great wealth. And we get comfortable with our wealth. We get comfortable with our lifestyles. And I'm telling you right now, when you just look in this congregation, that's what I see. That's what I see. I don't see anyone in this congregation that's homeless. I don't see any visitor in this congregation that's homeless. Now, I'm going to get real personal. Any prostitute women here? No one raised their hand. Drug addicts, raise your hand. Murderers, no one here. Brethren, I'm talking about the world this morning. I'm talking about going into the world, not going to middle class suburbia alone. And when we talk about going into this world, it makes us uncomfortable. Because that's the kind of relationship that we're talking about, that our God came into this world and looked at us. And in my mind, here's the picture that I have. And this is what I was sharing with the brethren um, in Brentwood last week when dealing with our relationships with people in this world. We're looking at people that are not like us, at least from our vantage point. And the picture I see of us without God just imagine someone with leprosy. Difficult to look at. 
You know, under the old law, you don't touch anyone with leprosy. In fact, they would call out to their fellow Jews, unclean, unclean. And they would have to be outside the city. They could not have any fellowship. They could not have any relationships with those inside the camp, if you will, until they were cleaned. You could not serve as a priest. You could not serve in any which way if you had any blemish on you. And so here's this mindset that has traveled through the ages that you're unclean. And they started looking at Gentiles as unclean. Remember in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his household. And you go further on, Peter having this dream. And he said, well, listen, I'm not supposed to have fellowship with you. You're Gentiles. But God told me that what he had cleaned, I should not call common. And he went and heard the gospel. That's the kind of mindset that we have now with people in this world. So then when someone is a child molester, we have great animosity towards someone, great disdain. And I don't believe that you, that you just have disdain for the individual. And naturally, it's for the sin that they're engaged in. I mean, that's a natural reaction that I have. But here's someone who is in desperate need of salvation. What's your relationship like? So that's the premise that I'm starting off with this morning when I talk about our relationship with people in this world. Because when we look at the ramifications to this premise and what we're trying to do, brethren, if you want the Lord's kingdom to grow, this is what I'm talking about. And are you ready? Because if you're ready and you're willing for me to talk to people in the world, I mean world, and any obey the gospel and they come among us, would we dare shift from one side of the building to the other and let this one that's come in that has this reputation? It's been all over the newspapers or channel, whatever news, or I don't know what channel we have around here, channel news. Are you ready for the ramifications? More importantly, are you ready to do all things for the sake of the gospel? Because that's exactly what we're looking at. We're told in Matthew 22 to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. And remember when this rich person said, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Look at the illustration he used. A despised Jew and a despised Samaritan actually coming into contact with one another. Where the Samaritan gives him a helping hand. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about hard to reach individuals. People who we would otherwise have nothing to do with because of the lifestyles that we live. The ways we live with one another. And if we're told to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Then brethren, it's not just a small segment of society that we're comfortable with. It's not a matter of, well, you know, we want to increase these numbers and we want to get the contribution levels up. It's not about that. It's about seeking and saving lost souls who are so precious to our God and should be that way to us. That's what that's about. And so this morning, as we look at this relationship, we have got to be like the Apostle Paul, committed to doing all things for the sake of the gospel. Now, notice the one caveat that Paul gave. If you go back to First Corinthians chapter nine, notice what he says. And this is the one caveat that he used in verse 21. Among all the different peoples, he said to those who were without law, he said, as without law in like fashion. I'm going to be in such a manner as if I was without law, even though I am under law, the law of Christ. That's the only caveat. He wanted to make sure I'm not going to live as a sinner does. Because I'm under obligation in this covenant relationship with Jesus to be under the law of Christ. 
But I'm going to live as if I can relate to this person who is without law. And that's what we'll look at when we look at some of these illustrations this morning and how we relate to people in the world today. And so we'll, we're going to focus in then in First Corinthians chapter nine from this standpoint. But notice then if we look at this, his very point that he makes is. Even though. I am free from all men, I make myself a slave to all. That's what we're talking about in relationship. If I am going to be found in Jesus Christ. I'm going to know that my relationship is not based upon the elders or deacons or Bible class members or those of you of good report that have lived for so many years as my judge, because none of you will be mine and I won't be yours. And thank goodness for that. Because I judge too harsh or too lenient myself. And I know you judge me too harsh and too lenient from your own mindset. It's just what we do, even with the love that we might have for one another. And the love that we do share with each other. We do that. I have known brethren that, that when I share certain things, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, Mitch Davis. Yeah, he does that. Or he doesn't do this. Or the church at Franklin only has one service. They're just not scriptural. Or whatever the, the judging takes place. We should know that, yes, we have a relation that's found in Jesus Christ and we're bound to him. I remember just uh, recently an elder telling me um, just this past weekend, not from this congregation, actually. But uh, he said, you know, I remember when we would do such and such. We make a decision as a congregation to do this. I get phone calls from brethren around the city saying what you're doing is wrong. And from what I could tell, there's nothing wrong. But they would make the phone calls. Next decision that they would make as an eldership, more phone calls from other in, in, the, in the city and so on and so forth. They're doing it not to be pleasing to men, but to be pleasing to God. Their idea is to serve God with all Bible authority, all quote unquote scripturalness to be well pleasing to God. Paul is making the same case here when he's talking about his relationship to all men, even though I am free from all men. Verse 19, he says, I make myself. A slave. Notice, as we just look back to Galatians chapter 2, this is something we spoke of last week. And I want to reiterate this point to make it very clear of what happens when we try to become gods and judge over one another's life. Yes, righteous judgment, Matthew chapter 7, we need to have for one another. But sometimes we cross that line over to the, into the condemnation and build up laws for ourselves against one another. So in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 Paul says to the saints at Colossae, do not let anyone judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But here's our substance. Christ. So that's what we have here. Our substance is Christ. And Paul is making that very clear when writing to the saints at Corinth. He's wanting them to understand that our relationship is ultimately with Jesus Christ. And as a result, then, how did he live his life? Well, Jesus came down from heaven. Right? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 following. Comes down from heaven, and he makes himself of no reputation. He's free from all men. 
Whatever men would say to him, it didn't faze him one bit because his relationship was strongly attached to his father in heaven. But he humbled himself, became a servant to mankind in obedience to his father's will. Brethren, that's the mindset that we need to have if we're going to have a genuine relationship with God. And if we're going to even begin to have a mindset that would allow us to talk to people who are in this world, who have ungodly behavior. That's what we're going to do. We're going to voluntarily give up the freedoms that we have. And we have freedom in Christ. We're going to become a slave voluntarily. That souls can be saved. But here's the difficulty I see. We're too selfish. I'm too selfish at times. I try not to be, but I know I am. And it comes across. We're going to have to get rid of that selfishness if we're going to have relationships with people in this world. We're going to have to make that uncomfortable change because a mind has to change of the way we look at individuals. And so of Paul himself, he said to the Jew, I became as a Jew. Well, let me let me ask you this. Was Paul a Jew? So what is he saying? I have to become as a Jew if he's already a Jew. Because he's a Jew that left Judaism. But many of his Judaizing brethren had not yet come to Christ. And so he became as a Jew. Well, how did he preach to them? He'd go through the history of the scriptures, right? And, and give them a relationship that the Jews had with God. So that he could appeal to them through the scriptures that everything was pointing to Christ. So to the Jew, he became as a Jew. Well... To those who are under the law, like the Pharisees. Give them law then. Isn't that what Jesus did? Use the law to teach the Pharisees about their own law abiding or law making ways. To teach them about the law that they're under in God through Christ. He uses that. In fact, if you go back to Romans 7, did he not use that as an illustration? I speak to those who are under the law. Those who know the law, and then he uses the law regarding marriage to say we are now under a new law. So to those under the law, as if he's under the law. He goes on, to those who are without law. I would like to say that those are the Gentiles, right? (laughs) Those who are without law, as without law. Acts chapter 17. Paul is in Athens, and he's at the Oropagus. What does he use as an illustration? Scripture? No. He uses their idols that stood up as statues and spoke to them with their knowledge. He says, I perceive that you're religious here. You got all kinds of gods. In fact, you even have one to the unknown God. I'm going to tell you something about this unknown God. And you even have your own poets and what they say. He never used scripture with them. He used their own writers with authority as authority that is met under Jesus Christ. And within Jesus Christ. That's how he preached to them. He related to them. And I love this illustration because it is really powerful for me when I was growing up. And this is before I was a Christian. But I remember when I was about um, about 21 years old. It's either just before or just after I obeyed the gospel. I can't remember now. I think it was just before I obeyed the gospel. The year before. I'm back on Maui at the high school I went. 
And the guidance counselor says, Mitch, I'd like for you to watch my class. They're taking a quiz or test, and I've got to do such and such. Would you take over? So, of course I would. Now, I want you to know, these are not like regular students. These students, well, let's just say they have behavior issues. I said, no problem. You know, my, my arrogance. And so I go into the class. I see these kids. And it's almost like, what's that, that show, Horseshack and Barbarino? And I, it's like, it reminded me of that. <laughs> and when they were taking their test, I put the hammer down, let them know. I wrestled. I was tough and all that kind of stuff. So behave themselves. And, and I remember as they're going through the test, one of them was just stuck. He could not figure out $1.21 divided by 6. I knew already he would have the answer because I figured on his reputation. I judged him, prejudged him, actually. I said, all right, you and your six buddies, mind you, I'm not a Christian. You and your six buddies have a six-pack of beer. And you're going to have to divide it among Got the answer. I'm telling you, when you relate to people with them, according to the way they understand. Now, that may not be the best illustration, but you get the point. When you can get on their level that they can understand, they will hear you. They will listen to what you're saying. When Paul was going to those who are Jews, he spoke to them as a Jew. As those under law, as if he's under law. Those without law, as if he's without law. He goes on to those who are weak, as weak. You cannot expect people to be where you're at. Because they're not there. What you can do is come down to their level or go to them and to be among them. What Paul is not saying is to live according to their ways. He's not saying to be partakers of sin. Ephesians 5.11 tells us that we are not to have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. He never said not to have relationships with darkness. He said with the unfruitful works, with their deeds, with their sinful ways of living. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 following, if you're going to have relationships with people in this world, it's going to be necessary that you're among them. You cannot leave this world. He's talking about not having fellowship with your brethren who are walking according to the ways of this world. But you're going to have to go into this world if you're going to reach the world. That's his point. That's why Jesus ate with tax collectors. That's why Jesus would allow someone with a filthy, ungodly reputation to even touch him. Whereas people would not. That's why he could touch people with leprosy. Where many of the Jews, most of them, especially the Pharisees, would have nothing to do as to even look at them. So he was all things to all men. And that's what we're going to have to do if we're going to be preaching the gospel. So we're doing everything for the sake of the gospel. Brethren, this has got to be a mindset that you're going to have. Otherwise, we cannot even go from this lesson that we're looking at and actually apply it in our day-to-day relationships with people in this world. When we're driving downtown Nashville and you've got someone with a sign, we'll work for food or whatever it's going to be, kind of stay away. It's uncomfortable for me too, but I'm being honest. (laughs) We've got to overcome so that when someone has the opportunity with the door open to give them the wonderful, precious gospel message, that we're going to do so. We're going to overcome those things of 
of what's uncomfortable for us. That souls can be saved. We need to become a servant to all. Now that's, that's a difficult thing. What I'm telling you right now is so difficult. It's easy maybe to listen, but that's as far as it goes. And I'm going to venture to say, brethren, if you're not going to change that mindset, if you have a mindset that's, that's uncomfortable, that you're going to walk out these doors and forget this message this morning. You might remember it here, but forget it in a day-to-day practical way of reaching the gospel to the lost. See, our lives are not about just our jobs or our families. Our lives are about giving glory to God. And giving glory to God is to go into the world and reach the good news to those who are lost and dying in this world. It's not just for the preacher. It's not just for only a small fragment of the congregation because, well, we can justify in the body we've got different talents. I want you to know it does not take talent to open your mouth. We've all proven it by our, our conversations with each other over the years. It doesn't take talent to open your mouth. You can simply let them know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. How, how difficult is that? Well, but Mitch, I don't know what passages to go to. Study your Bibles. Been studying for years, you should know by now. And I'm sorry to be so mean and hard about that way, but Paul, Paul making that clear, the Hebrew writer makes it clear in Hebrews chapter 5, by now many of you ought to be teachers. For years you know God's Word. If someone can do it in one day after obeying the Gospel, I know you can do it after years. It doesn't take talent. What it does take is a heart. A heart that's ready to go forth and serve. That's what it takes. And only those who have that genuine relationship with God that is going to say, Lord, please mold me into what you want me to be so I can be all things to all men. For the sake of the gospel. That's how you have a relationship with people in this world. Now, the last part of chapter 9, I want you to know, has everything to do with what we're already speaking of. Sometimes we have these sermons, you know, we, we have oh, 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27, a great sermon about endurance, perseverance, and, and so on and so forth. What he's talking about is being all things to all men. And he's wanting us to do this as if we are running in a race and we want to obtain that prize. That we're willing to go that extra mile in reaching the gospel to those who are outside the body of Christ. That we can be a servant, if you will. So he says in verse 24, do you not know that those who run in the race all run, but one receives the prize? And he finishes at the very end in verse 27. And that's why I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Why? I believe it was not an easy thing personally for Paul to go speak to a Gentile. I believe it was difficult, at least initially. Can you imagine? You're a Pharisee. You have nothing to do with Gentiles. And all of a sudden, you meet the Lord on the road to Damascus. You're converted to the Lord. And then you're speaking to Jews. And within a period of time, you're now going into the Gentile world. I believe it would have been hard to, as Paul to do that. Like it was hard for Peter in Acts chapter 10. When he had that vision, he says, Lord, far be it from me to eat anything unclean, to touch anything unclean. That's the same way that we are faced with when we look at someone who's in this world. I'm going to ask you right now. I'll admit, I would have a difficult time going to someone downtown Nashville or downtown Franklin 
who I can see is high strung on drugs. Mitch, that's not safe. Well, of course I know that. <laughs> or someone who's a lady of the night. Mitch, don't look at her. She's not dressed well. Okay, Julie, you go. <laughs> I mean, but they need to hear it, right? Someone on quote unquote the other side of the tracks need the gospel every bit as this side of the tracks. Whatever the tracks mean. You're made to glorify God. That's the purpose of your life. That's the purpose of my life. To glorify God. Our glory in God is not that I simply just raise up my children to be godly young, young people. That they can grow up to give glory to God just as morally upright individuals. The glory that we have is to become vessels of honor that were used for God's service. And that's what we're told in Romans chapter 9 verse 21. We have vessels of honor and common vessels. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I'm too competitive to let you know that I'm going to be a common vessel. No, if I, if I can choose to be the kind of vessel I want to be, I want to be that nice shiny one that's sitting on that shelf that looks really good. But I want it to be used. Not the shining one that's so pristine, so good looking, but it's just there for show and not for use. There's too many of that in the Lord's kingdom. There's too many, brethren. Brethren, if we want this church to grow and we've got all this empty pew space right in here, we've got to be vessels of honor. We've got to be used to serve our God. That's what Paul is speaking of in Romans chapter 9. We need to be workmanships of God. We are created for the very purpose of good works. That's what Ephesians 2 verse 10 says. We're created in Christ Jesus for this. Not simply church-going, God-fearing men, but those who go into the world and preach the gospel. I'm concerned for us, brethren. When I say I'm concerned for us, I'm talking about Christians in my personal view in this country. But I don't see my brethren all over this country. I just see us here in this building or those in this part of Middle Tennessee. So this is the us I'm talking to. We've got to reach our hands out. We've got to become servants to people who need the gospel. And I'm telling you, when we do this, we do it with the attitude that Jesus Christ had. We do it with the attitude that the Apostle Paul had in service to Christ. We do all things for the sake of the gospel. Jesus went to his death for the sake of the gospel. Are we willing to do the same? Are we willing? Because every action should compel us to reach the lost. I struggle with this from a practical standpoint, but that's what it should be. To build up the saved and to bring the lost into the kingdom of those who are saved. All we do is we give them the wonderful and good news and let God be the one to give the increase. We can do nothing else but serve. But when we do that, it's because our attitude is compelled with this mindset of Christ that we're going to reach the gospel to everyone. And if we were to do that, I'm telling you right now, we do it with self-control. And when we do it with this self-control, it is with the mindset that I voluntarily submit myself to the Lord's will to become a servant of all men. That's what we're going to do. We'll do it with self-control. 
will do it with endurance. The very thing that in verses 24 through 27 that Paul said, that's the way we go about. You know, I used to, when I gave the sermons on 1 Corinthians 9 in the past, I would talk about the Isthmian Games, the Corinthian Games, or the Olympic Games. You've probably heard those sermons. This is the rubber meeting the road right here. Not about learning how the Olympics functioned back then and apply it to us in, in our moral lives. We're talking about reaching the gospel to all men. This is the life we're supposed to be living. This is the life that we have. Brethren, not just having good relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ in this congregation. We'll talk about that, Lord willing, next Sunday. What we're talking about is something beyond that. Greater than that. We're talking about loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind and loving our neighbors. And our neighbors are not just brothers and sisters in Christ. It's our enemies as well. So we'll serve with this endurance. Now here's the ramifications. In the last one or two minutes. I want you to look at the ramifications. When you simply preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the way the Apostle Paul said, I know no other except for Christ and Him crucified. When you preach a simple gospel and don't go through all the, the 10-month evangelism program, whatever, and so on and so forth, and you just teach, just like the first century church. Acts chapter 2, the gospel is presented, and on that day, not months or years later, on that day, 3,000 souls heard and received the gospel message. Or Acts chapter 8, when they went spreading out the word, like Philip did, with the eunuch. That day, he obeys the gospel. Or when Lydia, Acts chapter 16, or Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, and many other examples. That day, the Philippian jailer, Acts chapter 16, that night, that hour. Brethren, when we preach the pure and simple gospel, this is what's going to happen. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to come in and bring all their worldly baggage into the body of Christ. Why? Because that's all they've ever known. And we're going to have growing pains. Genuine, true growing pains. With all kinds of cultural baggage. Because we have in Franklin, black people. We have Hispanic people. We have Asian people. And we've got even some Caucasians around here. And there's going to be baggage between generations, between the young generation and the mindset of the world that is then and the older generation and the mindset of the world that they have. And it's all coming together in one building. That's hard. But that's true growing pains. I'm not talking about growing pains where we have to add more parking space. That's not the growing pains I'm talking about. I'm talking about relationships and growing pains that bring glory to God. Because the gospel is being reached out to the people in this world. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. But that's what happens when we go out and preach the gospel everywhere. Now, I want it to be known. That doesn't mean that you don't see in Scripture, like in the gospel accounts, where there are those who go a long time before they accept Jesus Christ. Today, though, that's the norm. Today, the norm is I'm going to have a two-year, three-year, four-year Bible study. Now, sometime during that time, I hope they get it. And we teach them everything under the sun except Jesus Christ. For instance, we might teach them all the books of the Bible. We might teach them all the topics that are for the conservative church, if you will. Because we deal with institutionalism. We deal with the marriage, divorce, remarriage. We deal with the second serving of the Lord's Supper. We deal with every subject under the sun, really other than focused on Jesus as the Christ. That's what I'm talking about. 
And that's why I believe we have so many that take so long before they actually ever obey the gospel. Now, I want you to know that it happens today. Today, it's not reasonable. It's not only reasonable that we expect people in the world to accept the gospel when they hear it today. It happens. Remember that just last fall when we had um, those people that, that we've come into contact with um, from, from Emily with her workplace, with Damien and his girlfriend and the other families? They obeyed the gospel when they heard it. It happens. It happens every single day in this world. That people, when they hear the gospel message, they come to the Lord. And many of them grow at different paces. And some that have all this world and it's hard for them while they're being changed over in the renewing of their mind. Some it's immediate. Some it just takes a while. But it happens. But the Lord is adding to His church daily those who are being saved. But for the church here in Franklin, if our minds could be changed, brethren, and it needs to be changed, then you're going to start seeing seats fill up with all walks of life coming into the body of Christ that meet here at Franklin. From our elders down to every one of us in this room, we need to be prepared for that when it happens. I believe it's going to happen. That's just my opinion. But when it happens, be prepared. And that's why next week's lesson is so important when we deal with relationships with those who are in Christ. Because in Christ, you know what we have? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 said some were homosexuals, some were thieves, some were murderers, some were covetous. You know, he said such were some of you, right? It's because they went into the world and they talked to all those people that were that way. And if we reach the gospel out to this community, that's who's going to come into the kingdom. And how are we going to relate to one another then? To me, it's great that you have fellowship with some guy from Hawaii. I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, Middle Tennessee, Hawaii, North Alabama. <laughs> How minimal is that compared to the broad spectrum of morality issues, of cultural issues that come into the body of Christ, like the Jews and the Gentiles with their cultural issues and the ethnic issues? That's the kind of stuff we're going to look at next week.